Hello and welcome back to the Atmosphere is Electric. As always, uh, my name's Rich and on the other end of this call is Fran. How are you, buddy? Very well, thank you. How are you? Yeah, very good, mate. Very good. Lots to uh, lots to lots to mull over and get through today. And uh, not that we do a huge amount of prep before these calls, but this week purposely I've given you nothing because we're going to go and have a uh, have a conversation around it. So you've got no idea where we're going. But it may not be a surprise that the first place for us to start is is with the the system that's been brought in that we all love uh, so much. Uh, this weekend, really. It's a shame that that with all of the football going on, actually, that the biggest star of the show was VAR. It's every week, isn't it? I think we should just start doing a feature, VAR feature, every single week because there's just ludicrous decisions every single week. So, what what, what I'd like us to do, just for a short period of time, because I don't want to spend too much on it, but we we can keep my, as you and I, but but as as a footballing supporting generation, we, we can keep moaning about it, but actually. I think there's a couple of things that, that we could do that, that might move the dial quite quickly. And, and, and the first thing I'd like to, to throw out there is a suggestion of making VAR quicker, or sorry, better, is that you have a time limit on the amount of time you're allowed to make a decision. One minute. If you can't make the decision in one minute, whatever the on-field referee decided stays. Do you think that's a good idea? I, I don't think it's going to make it any worse at the minute because the team's... Referees, sorry, or the the, the ref, team of referees are taking so long to make a decision, and they're still getting it wrong. So I can't see how it makes it any worse. At least the game's been sped up. And and it came to me. So, long story short, Saturday uh, early kickoff, Man U Fulham. Uh, I'm driving back from coaching, and I got the boys in the back of the car, you know, on an iPad watching it, sort of over the telly. And I was, uh, you won't know where this is, but at, on the A414 when when they went goal to Man U. And I was nearly home 15 minutes later when they went, oh, no, it's been disallowed. Right. Like, <laughs> it's just too long. And actually, because the knock-on effect to this possibly could be, if we fast-forward it, is there a chance that that's having a negative impact or an impact on the amount of injury? So you look at uh, Monday night, Mickey van der Ven snaps his hamstring. Before he did that, there'd been about eight minutes of, of inactivity of, of watching or waiting for VAR decisions. And so, actually, there's a real chance this is going to have a huge impact on the bodies of the football players if we're not careful. Yeah, definitely. And, I mean, you look at uh, the first thing that sprung to mind there was, you know, get the, the fitness team, the fitness coach on the pitch, getting them, you know, making sure they're warm so they don't injure themselves. But you don't know how long these decisions are going to go on. So, it's not like they can run on because in 10 seconds, they could have to come straight back off. And I think that you just, it's just people just don't have any idea, do you? Like, it's not like you said there's three minutes for a decision to be made so you know that that person can come on and do whatever they need to. It's just completely all over the shop. It's also essentially now managing the game, isn't it? So, so we went from you know clear and obvious offsides and goal line technology to looking for problems now, aren't they? They've gone beyond actually just trying to fix an obvious area. They're now actually looking for problems mm-hmm. that that many of us haven't sort of noticed whilst the game was happening to stop or to create a problem that that, that may not or, or may or may not have even been noticed in real time. I mean, when when you look at the Newcastle Arsenal game and obviously how, how long VAR took to make a decision, but they reeled through three to four different items of how they could disallow the goal, didn't they? Which, like I said, that wasn't what it was brought in for. 
it was brought in there for clear and obvious errors. Now, don't get me wrong, I think there was clear and obvious errors made in those those four things they were looking for, but that wasn't why it was brought in. It was it was brought in to stop absolute howlers. And like I said, now all it's doing is it's slowing the game down. I think it's absolutely sucking the fun out of football entirely. So I'm watching games now, and I must be honest, I'm not enjoying it nowhere near as much as, as I used to. Um, strangely enough, we had some conversation with somebody on Twitter who's a Wickham fan. And he was adamant that he wants it in in his in his level of football. And I was going, I was going back and saying, "Are you absolutely off your head?" I was thinking, "No way do you want it in." So I mean, yeah, I'm still in the camp of remove it, but I can't believe that there's any people out there who still think that it's fit for purpose and is actually providing the game any benefit. I think exactly that. Like we've been long enough now to to, to understand the impact. Like you know, in the first four months, you kind of go, "Oh, well, there's teething problems. It's going to take." I get all of that. Of course, there was. But we're now way down the line here. And you, know, you look at the three you know, key games that were influenced by, obviously, the Man U-Fulham game, where the, the goal was, was, in the end, not given. You, obviously, you, you've highlighted the Newcastle-Arsenal game where you know, those, that point swing could be massive at the end of the season for both teams, either way. And then, of course, we come to the, the, the Spurs-Chelsea game, which mm. uh, was riddled with VAR abuse, I'm going to call it, in the yeah. sense that it, it killed the game from it. Like, you know, everyone was telling me, what an amazing game of football it was. Actually, I thought second half was, was drab. Been, and actually, been, It was boring. You already knew the outcome, didn't you? Because of the decisions. It, and, and, and actually, interestingly, uh, what was really interesting is that for me, if you go back to the Chelsea-Caicedo goal that was disallowed for Jackson offside, fractionally, marginally, for interference with the... He didn't touch the ball. So interference, questionable. But because they gave that offside, they then went back to look for the penalty shout. So if they'd have given the goal, Romero would have stayed on the pitch. Mm. Or would he? Or would they have gone back and looked at that? I but don't know I think, anymore. I think the question that you've just said there is, would he, is, is, the, is the question and why it's so wrong. Nobody knows. And if you don't know how, what's going to be given, then it's not fit for purpose. Every person should know how VAR works and the patterns and the processes that they need to go through to make a decision. Nobody knows. So the fact that you've just said, would he have been sent off, to me, is the biggest issue. I just want to raise another game as well. There was a Sheffield Wolves game where they've had another VAR. And again, it's gone against Wolves. Wolves seem to have had four or five now yeah. that they've been on the yeah. wrong end on. And it could have huge impact on them going down. I don't think it will, but it could do. And you can't have teams now. So Arteta was coming out with it, weren't he? And he said his phrase was, it's having a huge impact on the game. There's too much at stake. He's right. And I'm looking at it more from the relegated side's perspective. If they, if Wolves drop out of the league, they could be in serious financial trouble. And actually, they could be six, seven, eight points better off this season already and almost have guaranteed us their safety, really. And the, the fighting looking relegation. Yeah. Be looking at Europe based on where they are. It, yeah. it seems like, like, I think, actually, the, the, the point for me is that if, you know, John Smith, whatever the referee's name is of any given game, doesn't really matter, makes, makes a genuine, honest mistake in real time, the game is so fast, you know, so for example, if there wasn't VAR and that, that ball, the, the Newcastle goal, you know, is it in or out, right? You kind of go, well, from, by the naked eye, it looked like it might be in, so give, give the benefit of the doubt. You know, is it a foul? Is it not a foul? You know, again, not sure benefit of that. Is he offside? All of those things that they looked at in real time, I think you forgive the the, the assistant ref and the ref. Eight, you might have a little bit of a bitch in a moment and go, oh God, the decision's going to get us. But, the issue is that now you've gone, well, here's this super-powered VAR system that's going to clear up problems. And they're still coming back. And, and, and the outcome was, ultimately, we're not sure. Mm. What's the freaking point? Well, 
I think I think the point for me on it was is can you remember a few years before VR where you would go and have a game on a Saturday or something for three o'clock and then on Monday night football they'd go back and show you referee mistakes. It never happened. They'd talk about the game and they might reference this, mate, but they wouldn't spend pretty much the full fifteen minutes pre game talking about a decision. And that's exactly what they did with um Spurs Chelsea, wasn't there? Where they went through for fifteen minutes talking about the Newcastle decision. That was never the case. And why it's not even a part of football that anybody wants to discuss, but because it's making such huge errors and impacting games in such a way, that's now all that people talk about. And it's not got anything to do with football. Like it's, or it shouldn't have anyway. I think that for me is, is that you wouldn't you wouldn't have gone back and looked at refereeing decisions in the past. And yeah, I mean, for me, take us back to that that time. And so the, the, the final point on, on the VR conversation, which is something that's been uh, pushed by a few uh, people far more important than us, uh, with with bigger followings, but almost alluding to the fact that Neville Carragher are now starting to become the PR mouthpiece of PGMOL, and they're actually starting to kind of referee the game through their commentary. I don't know if you if you felt that's something that 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 might be you know that, that they're almost they're almost asking for decisions to be given that are more severe than what has been given as a way of saying, well, the referees that you have one there. So in a really bizarre way, that, that there's there's this kind of undercurrent coming out that, that actually Carragher and, and Neville are on the payroll and they're doing, because obviously they want to have access to Howard Webb when he wants to do his TV programmes. And so they're now fully sort of coming out the other way and the other side of this, trying to support it and try and put that PR machine behind it. I don't know if you've given that any thought or, th- or heard that uh, as a concept. No, I've not heard that as a concept, but I mean, all I think is, is people aren't stupid. So as an example, if you ask Wolves fans what they think of VR, they're not going to be swayed by the commentary of Gary Neville or Jamie Carragher. They've had four or five stinking decisions and I would put my money on, I put my house on that they don't like VAR. Majority of Wolves fans, they're not going to be swayed. So I don't think it's that much, probably that much of an issue um, because so some people obviously be swayed by the, you know, they believe anything they listen, but I think most people who watch football are not stupid. They know how football works and, you know, they'll be able to see a decision and make their own decisions for themselves. So that's now, uh, we're now not allowed to talk about VR for the rest of the chat now. So when we talk about the games from the weekend, you have to do so without referencing VAR. But so let's, let's go back to that. Uh, yeah. Well, I think what you're saying is going to be difficult. <laughs> yeah. Let's, let's cover Everton Brighton. Oh no, actually that, that, that had what, that did have a decision, didn't it? I don't know where to go. I don't know yeah. where we start. Well, we're, we're going to start with the game. We'll try. We're going to start with the game that was riddled with it, but nonetheless, we need to move on from it. So, so, so Newcastle Arsenal, obviously uh, a really, really difficult place for Arsenal to go. Obviously, you know, we touched on uh, last week, maybe a couple of different sort of system points. You know, Odegaard maybe not quite being the same sort of player that he obviously, you know, maybe even carrying an injury at the moment. But a massive, massive win for Newcastle, wasn't it? Missing a couple of key mm. players, you know, in, in, a, in a domestic week of beating Man United in the Cup and Arsenal at home in the league. You know, have we underestimated Newcastle? Have they really got a chance here of really kicking on and really disrupting that top four? You'd have to say yes now. Um... They looked, they looked really solid to me. I still don't think they look potent enough going forward. Um, but saying that, I mean, so I don't think Arsenal do at the minute either. I think Arsenal look pretty bereft of ideas going forward. Um, I thought they just looked back to the old Newcastle of being really solid. Like Arsenal didn't have many chances. I thought their fullbacks were superb. They shut down Martinelli and Saka really well. Didn't have, didn't go by them, did they? Didn't go into the space behind them very often. Um, 
yeah, and I thought Newcastle controlled the game without, you know, controlling it from the sense of attacking constantly and being in control there. I thought they just controlled the game well, didn't give many opportunities to Arsenal and actually looked, if I was going to say somebody was going to win the game, it would have been Newcastle. And so, so I feel like you, you just touched on it. Saka has become a player that we're almost not allowed to criticise. Uh, and don't get me wrong, you know, arguably one of three or four English world-class players, right? There's not many of them out there, but he's arguably one of them. But this season, he definitely hasn't been uh, the same player that he was last year. Do you think that's that teams have just sussed him out and the way that Arsenal play and actually they're just, they're just working it out better and actually he's not getting that same space and time on the ball? Or do you think this is just a genuine dip in form that he'll be able to work out in time? I think there's a bit of both in there. I think the first thing is teams, I mean, if you watched Newcastle, what they did was the, the, the left-back shut him down and the centre-half basically went and stood five yards to the left and just said to him, come inside, because the midfielder then tucked in, come inside, we're not going to allow you to go down the line. He ended up having to pass the ball back every time. So I think his stats around uh, successful dribbles was, I don't think he had any. I don't think he physically dribbled by his full-back once. And I think tactically that was a great move from Newcastle and other teams seem to be doing that as well. Martinelli seems to be more of a... Of a driving with the ball, doesn't he? And he, I think his stats are better for take-ons, but they did the same to him as well. So um, on the Saka front, I think teams are starting to tactically get that right against him a bit more. But when you then take into account your Martin Odegaard's form, I don't think they have those other forward-thinking players that can help him out. They are heavily reliant on those two wingers. And I think, like I said, it's to do with a bit of for- lack of form, but also teams are starting to tactically manoeuvre players in positions to stop them being dribbled by. And something that we... Uh, Arsenal fans, you won't tell me, but something we labelled at Spurs uh, last week, uh, rightly, I think, and definitely we'll, we'll come on to that later about how that, that, that may now be a, a massive issue for them uh, moving forward in terms of strength in depth. Now, you know, forgetting uh, any injuries beyond kind of what's going on, I'm just going to take you through the Arsenal bench, okay? Bear in mind, Arsenal are Champions League, you know, they, they could have, should have, would have won the league last season. Uh, and their bench on Saturday night, I think, has gone under the radar as being nowhere near the standard that we're looking for. So they had, obviously, Aaron Ramsdale in, on, on the bench, who, again, arguably should be uh, on Ow. the pitch. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Carl Hein, Jakob Kiwar, Cedric, yeah. Zinchenko, Vieira, Elneny, Nelson and Trossard. Oh. Oh, you've got one game changer in there, really, in Trossard, haven't you? Yeah, I don't think anybody's digging out Arsenal's strength in depth. Now, OK, you could say, you could let me know that uh, obviously Odegaard wasn't in the squad, so you, you stick him in there, it adds a little bit of quality. They're playing Tommy Asu as a left-back. Like, this is not a team, this is not a squad of players that looks like anywhere near they should be challenging for top four. So actually, are Arsenal overperforming based on the squad they've got to still be in the top four? Because, you know, I, I, even, if, sorry, if, even if I look at the, 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 the Newcastle bench, Dubravka, Demay, Kraft, Hall, who's a £40 million defender, Livermento, who's a, you know, Matt Ritchie, Jacob Murphy, Joe Willock and Lewis Miley. Like, there's not much difference between the two squads. No. I think the, um, on your point around Arsenal overperforming, I, th- I don't think they are. I still think they're massively underperforming. I think what they got them to do last year, though, they had a settled eleven. And then the players around there, you know, supplemented it. Where you know he's massively tweaked with the goalie. I think this is a huge issue that needs to be spoken about. The goalie, all he's done is caused panic in that back line. You know, he's probably lost a lot of confidence of some of the players as well with the way that Ramsdale has been treated. You can see the performances of Raya, and 100% he should be dropped. But if he drops him, it shows that not probably a bit of a weakness. And you know, 
I've made an incorrect decision. Um, so I, I think that's a massive, massive issue. And I think it reflects in the play of some of the players. I don't think a lot of them probably trust him as much, which may also give some reasoning as to why he went off the way he did on VAR. Probably to take a bit of heat off the players, a bit of heat off, off himself. Um, I, th- I think the, the goalkeeper is one of the huge issues. That, and, you know, and I think it relays into all the form of the players. I mean, it's been highlighted, obviously, that David Raya uh, just gets in front of the, the near post too often, which therefore makes him a, a liability with anything going over his head. Obviously, the Chelsea game, obviously Newcastle. And again, if, the, you know, if he comes and claims that because he's in the right position, he should be, again... There's no drama. It, that, mm. that stops everything. You know, we, we've spent time talking about the, the, the three possible outcomes, but if he's just stood at the right position in his goal, he just comes and picks just up all out of the air, just catches, just catches it. Yeah, I think and, that. And then what? Yeah, sorry. I was just and it goes back into that that you mentioned Tommy Asu at left back last year. If I said to you who's playing left back, there was one answer. It was Inchenko. If you said to you last year who's in goal, it was it was Ramsdale. Everybody knew how Arsenal played, but it was still hard to stop because those players were in form and they knew what they were doing. This year, how many? I mean, Thomas Partey started at right back, didn't he? Like, there's been so many players who have played in an in a unnatural position or in a different position, different players playing in the eleven. Which I just think it, you, you don't get that run of form, you don't get that um, that consistency with your performances, and I, yeah, I, I think it just completely relays into why Arsenal are underperforming because they haven't got that stable eleven who know what exactly each other are doing. So how, how, how much can we put this down to European football? Because actually, you know, if, if you look at the teams that one week we're only waxing lyrical about, excuse me, one week we're only waxing lyrical about, next week we're going scratching our heads, you know, Aston Villa, Newcastle, Arsenal, three teams that last year didn't have European football and just seemed to be struggling with that monotony of you know, two games a week, every week squad size. I mean, again, Newcastle now, Callum Wilson, Isak both look like they might be out for a while, or certainly Callum Wilson definitely was taken off yesterday to prevent an injury with, with hamstring tightness. You know, that squad started to look really thin. You know, Arsenal obviously got, you know, a Champions League fixture tonight against Sevilla. Like, you know, they're having to juggle their squads, aren't they? Is this actually just the case if you can't consistently kind of perform week in, week out, twice a week with the, with the quality of the squads that they've got? I think you do have to look at it that way. Um, I mean, are, were Arsenal in the Europa League last year? They, but they, they, they yeah. swapped. They swapped. So, so yeah, fair point. They swapped all eleven because it was Europa, not Champions League. They swapped all eleven every week, didn't they? Yeah, I mean, but this is so. so I wasn't trying to say no, no, no you're no, wrong no, there or anything. No, yeah, the point. way I was looking at it was um, so Newcastle didn't have any form of European competition, and now they do, and you can see. I think you can see now Brighton, Newcastle, Villa. It is definitely affecting them. They haven't got the squads to be able to cope with it. Arsenal, however, did have European football, but what they did last year was they put games to bed early. So then, therefore, they were rotating. Yeah. So you look at what Man City did yesterday. They absolutely took apart... Who did they play? But young boys. Played, yeah, young boys. Took them apart in the first half. Game was done. He's, he's rotating his players right, left and centre. People are coming on the pitch. Therefore, your squad is being refreshed. And that, for me, with Arsenal, this year, they've struggled in the Champions League. Because their league form struggled, they struggled in the Champions League. So they're having to put out their best eleven to get through the competition, which then means the players, you know, probably like a great example of that is Fabio Vieira. He's not had that many minutes, really, has he? But in reality, he should be playing most of the Champions League games where they're expected to win, get him minutes, you know, even in the lesser teams in the Premier League. And those sorts of players aren't getting the minutes, you know, Reese Nelson, because they're requiring the full eleven in every single game. 
Yeah, it's an interesting period for, for, for Arsenal. I think it's going to be a very interesting period now for Newcastle as well, because obviously, you know, everybody assumes they've gone out and spent loads of money. But actually, they, they haven't spent that much money in the grand scheme of things. And, you know, you look at their squad, the stat from last night's game was that they had the most amount of English players on the pitch for an English team in the Champions League ever. Because and actually, if you look at the, the, the names of those people, they're not you know they're they're not your Harry Kane's. They're your kind of players that actually you know your, your Willocks etc. That, that maybe couldn't fit in anywhere else. And so their squad depth is going to be a real challenge in 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 the coming weeks. And actually, you know, I can see especially if we come to that Christmas period where obviously there's there's many many fixtures all you know back to back to back to back that actually they could really start to to kind of come unstuck. But Arsenal have got what you could say is quite a nice run in the sense that they've got Burnley. Uh, then obviously there's an international break again, unfortunately for all of us. Uh, no offence to international football, but then they're obviously playing uh, Brentford. Then they've got Wolves, uh, and then they've got Luton. So actually, the next four games for Arsenal look look friendly. Uh, and so actually, you know, we could be having a very very different. But you could see Arsenal back on top of the table uh, after those four fixtures because you could see them win all four of them, couldn't you? Yeah, you absolutely could. But at the same time. If you'd have asked me this last season and said, "Can you see them having winning all four of those fixtures?" You've gone, "Yeah, absolutely." Yeah. But they are—they're not scoring goals, are they? You know, they should be winning those fixtures. So, yeah, you can say that, but they don't look the team of last year. So, you can definitely see them dropping points as well. Like they should be beating all of those sides, but they—they they could drop points. And so, you know, we talk about uh, Arsenal, Newcastle. What a weekend it was for Manchester City, and I don't mean. Uh, Managing to beat Bournemouth at home. That's not what I mean by that. And again, by the way, everybody, I was very close to my 5-1 prediction. I got very excited for a period. I was doing the okie-cokie around the front room. Uh, unfortunately, my £1 bet with a £345 return only offered me £10 catch-out. So I parked it and then they went and scored a six. So I had the right ump. But uh, with Liverpool dropping points, Villa dropping points, Spurs dropping points, Arsenal dropping points, I know this is going to sound dramatic, but have we just gift-wrapped the league to Man City in that one week alone? I don't, I don't think it's gift-wrapped because I still don't think Man City are the team they were last year. I think other teams have improved, so I still think it's going to be a very close title race. However, that seems a huge swing, doesn't it? Where we were looking at Spurs being unbeaten, you know, Liverpool were on a roll. I think the fact that Liverpool were the ones for me, dropping points to Luton, you know, if they'd have won that, they'd have been right up there still challenging. They're now one win away with a quite inferior goal difference. It just brings Man City far back into favourites, doesn't it? If you look at the bookies, they would still would have been favourites, but other teams would have been closer. And I think if you look, were to look now, the odds will have shifted even more. It does look like it's Man City's title again now. Um, yeah, it was a huge weekend for them. However, I don't think it's going to be as simple as saying they'll win it. I think it's going to be quite close still. But do you? Because actually, I would, I would say that if, if and again, I actually was getting quite excited about what Liverpool were doing. I was getting quite excited about what Aston Villa was doing, uh, and both of those teams, you know, the Sunday performance from both of them was so abject, so. You know, at the end, I was actually cheering Luton on. Like, I was hoping that for Luton to hold on just, just because actually it would have been a, a, a better story. And, and actually, you know, and, and luckily it was kind of Diaz with his story that kind of makes you feel, well, OK, well, at least that's OK. But, you know, they really, really struggled to break down Luton. Uh, you know, Aston Villa, who, who I thought were looking almost unplayable and looking like they could score goals from all over the place, effectively looked like they just downed tools and just decided not to bother turning up. 
I, th- I thought Liverpool were really poor, if I'm being honest. Um, yeah, there was a, there was a couple of chances here and there, but there was no cutting edge. It looked like just a, a low block. They didn't have any solution to getting around it, did they? Which Man City, anybody who plays low block Man City, eventually, nine times out of ten, they go and score, don't they? They looked like they didn't have the know-how of how to do that. They looked like they had that one way of playing where teams play high line and they've got pace behind and they can run in behind, which obviously wasn't there. So, yeah, I, th- I thought Liverpool looked really poor. And to me, they were the, the biggest disappointment because from the title perspective, I think them, uh, Liverpool, Arsenal and Man City will be will be challenging. Um, you know, I, I still think Spurs will be in and around, but those injuries and suspensions are going to really hurt them. So Man City are currently two to five on to win the league. Two to five on. Next favourite: Arsenal eleven to two, Liverpool thirteen to two, Spurs eighteen to one. You know, the bookies are giving us a bit of a clue there, really, aren't they? Like, you know, I, and I also can't see anybody else at the moment pumping a team six one like like Man City did. So I don't see how anybody could get anywhere near them because again, like you, I mean, you just said something that was quite interesting there for me is that you, you don't think Man City are the team they were last year and and, and they're still, still they're normally churning wins out. You know, they've, they've just gone and pumped Bournemouth, who are not a bad team. Like you know, you can, I know they're not performing, but on paper at least they've got some good players in that squad. They, you know, Bournemouth should not be losing six one to anybody. Should have been five one. Joking. Uh, <laughs> But you know, you, the, the, the point is that, that Man City are the only team I think at the moment that have got any chance of just putting teams away like that and making it easy. Like you see them rotating and like mm. I think they're miles ahead. I think that uh, the interesting thing I think about City is I think they're in a bit of transition still. So I think the the style of play is evolving a little bit. I mean, for me, I'm going to call him out again. I think Docker is the key for them at yep. the minute. He offers them that something different, doesn't he? Where they have been possession based, passing through the lines, cutting edge, they now do seem to have a runner on one side in Docker. And also Foden is dropping inside and out, isn't he? And he's a runner through the middle, which is a bit of a different style of players to what they're used to. So I do think they are in a bit of transition. And the longer the season goes on, they're going to get better and better because they're going to be getting used to this newer style of play. And it's not a like, complete change of style of play, it's just a little tweak, which he seems to do every single year. Um, so I do feel that you know the reason you've seen them drop points is because you're they're getting used to this new style of play, um, this transition. And as the season goes on, I think they're going to get stronger and stronger and stronger. So I do feel that's why it is, it is in City's hands. Yeah, definitely, definitely. There's no doubt for me. I you know that that was a huge swing at the weekend. And so obviously, you know, just touch on Luton there. Really, really tough to break down. You know, again, you just said you thought Liverpool were poor, but actually, you know, Luton, you know, you go back a couple of, you know, Luton aren't getting pumped by anybody, are they? You know, Luton are losing games by the odd goal. Uh, you know, they've drawn with you know, the two, the two nil comeback against Forest was a massive, maybe sort of stake in the in the claim for them to think that they are actually now now Premier League. Uh, is they only lost one nil to Spurs. They lost two one to Burnley. Again, disastrous in the sense where Burnley mm. are breaking close game. Is there a chance, again, the game for that, they drew one with, with Wolves, you know, is there a chance now that Luton could? Could they stay up? Yeah. So I'm, I'd said at the beginning, I'd sooner be back in Luton to stay up than, than some of the other teams, purely based on the price. But it was also based on the style of play. Like, and I did say at the beginning, you know, I say it there, I thought Burnley would stay up, but I was hesitant to say that based on their style of play. I did think that it could be something that gets found out in the Premier League. Luton, I never had that reservation with. I did think that, that out of the three teams, that they could be the one that transitioned into the Premier League based on being solid defensively and, you know, nicking points here and there. I don't think they will, are going to stay up because I don't think they still score enough goals to warrant to stay up. But 
out of the three promoted teams, I think they're the ones that will have the most chance based on their style of play and their home form. Yeah, I, 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 yeah. Again, whatever happens to Luton, I just, I just want to again keep saying, you know, what an amazing afternoon for those Luton fans to have Liverpool come to the Kenny and to nick a point or earn a point, not nick a point, earn a point. Uh, it must be just buzz. It must be a great time to be a Luton fan, right? Yeah. Jesus Christ! I was, I, mean, I was so disappointed, like you though, when that equaliser went in. I was so deflated, and I'm not a Luton fan. I can tell you that now. I was so deflated for him because I was thinking, what a story that would have been. That would yeah. have been amazing, wouldn't it? And actually, I thought they deserved it. I actually thought they deserved it. I'm really disappointed. Yeah. And, and as I said, you know, genuinely, the, the the thing that kind of made me kind of process it and be okay was obviously the, the horrible stuff that Luis Diaz is and has gone through uh, as as a, as a story, obviously, makes you think, well, do you know what? Uh, he, he probably needed that and deserved that himself. So, mm. uh, but yeah, you know, in, interesting what's going on at Luton. Now, obviously, uh, we, we, we've touched on it. We spoke about it before. Uh, you know, last week in in the the Monday night football, uh, obviously just carnage. Where do you start? Uh, yeah, well, well, let's let's start at the beginning because I think what I don't want to do is go over whether the decisions were right or wrong because ultimately that's 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 been done to death and you could get at it. But I thought the first twenty minutes, I thought it, it was going to be four nil, five nil Spurs. <laughs> Both defenses just seemed to go after you. <laughs> And and they went through. I, I thought Spurs started really well. In all honesty, I thought they um, they showed their style of play well. I think they showed their intent. Um, but as the game went on, you know, Chelsea seemed to carve through them as well. Um, I think I I know we're not mentioning VAR, so I won't mention it. But the the point around the injuries that we spoke about last week, I think, are going to come back to haunt Spurs, aren't they? Oh, so again, you know, I've got loads of Spurs and Chelsea fans around me, and 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 you know, on a school run, I have Spurs and Chelsea fans in the car. Uh, and, and, and every Spurs fan that I've spoken to, to a person, has said, don't really care about the result. I'm more worried about the injuries. Mm. Because actually, you know, you're going to lose a game of football over the course of a season. Of course, you're, it's, you know, it's, no sh- it's not the biggest shock in the world that Chelsea beat Spurs. Uh, as I said last week, they do it regularly and, and very, very often. But Van der Ven, I mean, he, he's, got, he's, he's, he's got to be out for eight weeks with that, surely. Mm. Yeah, and then I mean, yeah, and then you pair that with the red card of Romero. We spoke about Eric Dyer being the backup, didn't we? You now got to, got to replace two for Spurs, haven't you? So where, where thought, do you go? Where do you go with that? I thought no, I thought he did all right, but he's not of the level, is he? He's not no, of the of same not. level. No, no. And, and look, you know, actually, Van der Ven's on the pitch. That next high line yeah. that Spurs yeah. were playing, I think actually they get away with because of his pace. Yeah. Well, that's what uh, we were saying about the backup, though, weren't we? we were saying say Romero gets sent. Dyer comes in, Van der Ven sort of looks after him, really, and you'd probably get away with it. But now t- two of them are out. It's real, real struggle from there. And I thought one, one thing I've not heard a lot of people talk about, so I think it's an interesting one for us to talk about, because obviously, again, the game has, has, has brought, like I say, the, the impact was that, if you remember in the first half, just before uh, half-time, Levi Colville lost the plot completely, didn't he? He went, he went mm. bananas. And actually... What what really got under the radar as a, as a fantastic piece of management for Pochettino is he took him off at half-time and put Correa mm. on. Dragged him, yeah. Whereas Spurs had to keep a doggy on the pitch because Ben Davies wasn't on the bench. And he then goes on and gets his second yellow card and then he's off. So actually, if Spurs had had Ben Davies on the bench, they could have swapped him and mm. therefore then you're back to square one. And then you at least at 10 v 11, you know, 11 v 9, you should lose that mm. 99.9 times out of 100, right? Yeah. He's it, going under the radar a bit, a doggy, isn't he? In the sense of how many cards he picks up. He is an absolute foul and card machine. Like 
every single week he's getting booked or he's going on to have two or three fouls. So that's a worry for me as well with him. You know, as good as a talent that he is, he seems to... It's not a lack of discipline, really. It's not like he's flying into tackles and stuff. He just seems to be picking up cards and fouls. And Gary Neville was very adamant that that, that, that flying sort of tackle into Raheem Sterling was a red. How do you... Bear in mind there was no contact, but the intent... What, what, mm. What's your... You know, obviously you played it to a level. What's your genuine feel on that? I thought it was really, really interesting. Um, uh, I, I was in my car, so I just finished playing five so I was in my car and I had the radio and my phone on, so I watched it and heard the radio. The TV pundit said it was a red. The radio said, get on with it. They said, that is never a red card. So you had two very different opinions. And I watched it and my first initial impression was it's not a red. It was only at the point that they slowed it down and they showed you in slow-mo and they paused it where he was in midair that it looked a red card. So again, it comes back to if you show somebody a still, it was a red card. But in in normal playing motion, time, speed, it was never a red card. It was a, it was a it was a, a tackle, won the ball. I, I I really struggled with it because I, I had the two different opinions from the the commentators. Yep, and I couldn't understand where they were. They both seen the same thing. But like it then comes back to this thing you're saying about Gary Neville and the PGM. Well, like I couldn't understand how they both got polaring opinions. They'd seen the same thing. About when the commentator on the radio, by the way, was Danny Murphy. So it wasn't like it was a non-football. He was an ex-Premier League footballer as well. So I, I just couldn't understand where it come from. But to me, it just came down to the still. Remove the still. I think both people, everybody would have had the same opinion that it wasn't a red. Well, in real time, I, I actually said good tackle. Yeah, I did. In, in real time. Again, you know, but likewise, in real time, I didn't even notice Romero. I just thought he cleared the ball. Again, you know, it looked like he'd gone for the, for the pen. The, the penalty that was then given. So, you know, Adogi absolutely has to, but there's many players like that as well. But Jackson, ironically, for Chelsea, has picked up, I think, a yellow card every game he's played. Yeah, yeah. And it's just going to, and, and, and so actually, you know, let's, let's move on to Jackson because obviously he gets the plaudits for scoring a hat-trick at Tottenham Stadium. That means that Chelsea beat Spurs. But for me, he was completely ineffective until nine players. And actually, for me, it left more questions than answers for him. I think so. And even um, in the general wider sense of the, the game, I thought there was more questions for Chelsea than there was for Spurs at the end of the game. I think Spurs came out with more, more credit. And the same for Jackson. Um, he got a 9.9 rating out of 10 on who scored, which was just absolutely baffling. It was like somebody hadn't watched the game. They'd gone, oh, he scored three, give him 9.9. Um, I thought the one thing for Jackson that stood out for me more than anything was his miss. After he'd scored his hat-trick, he had a, a, the ball got pulled back to him on his left foot and he absolutely blazed it over the bar. And I thought that summed his night up more than the, the goals itself. Even the goal when he went round the keeper, he almost fell over with the ball at his feet. All he had to do was square it or you know go around him. He almost fell over. And I think it just showed you that he's not probably the player. We would say giving him slight comparisons to drug, but weren't me at the beginning. Mm-hmm. He's nowhere near that player. I think he's quite a clumsy player. I still think he can be quite effective, but I don't think he's ever going to be the player we thought he, he would be. Um, yeah, so like I said, I think there's more more questions for, for him than answers. That that hat-trick definitely papers over the cracks. Yeah, Chelsea are massively missing in Kunku. There's no, no two ways about it. I think he's going to revolutionise that team. And I think actually, based on the chances they create, I think he will be the game-changer for, for Chelsea. I do believe that. I think he gives them a chance. And so everybody's banging on about how James Madison is the signing of the season, not just for Spurs, but across the Premier League. But actually, uh, there was one other player, wasn't there, that, that made a real uh, claim for that title in the in the Spurs goalkeeper, Vicario. Is he arguably 
on form the best goalkeeper in the Premier League currently? It's a very good question. Um, I think you'd have to argue him and David Raya, definitely. And Anana. Um, no, I, th- <laughs> I, th- I think you'd have to argue that's definitely the case. Um, you know, what a save with his face as well that was. <laughs> Doesn't even need his hands. He's that good. All, He's just, all count. Just, yeah, just uses his face. I think, um, yeah, on form, I think you'd have to argue that. Um, I think Allison has performed really well this season as well. So I think it's between those two. Edison's been chopped out the side a little bit, hasn't he, as well? A couple of games in there, you know, the, the usual pep rotation. Um, yeah, I'd just say so. Him and Allison, I'd say so. On form, two best goalies. Yeah, I actually agree completely with that. I can't think of two other goalkeepers that are doing. Uh, that's even in the Luton game, you know, Alisson had to make a couple of important saves or blocks mm. uh, at 1-0 uh, to, you know, to keep Liverpool in the game. And, so, mm. and again, you know, Alisson, he did a couple of years ago have, have that sort of patch where he made a few mistakes. I remember a game away against Leicester. I think it was the early kick on Saturday where he made a couple of mistakes that led to goals. Uh, but since that point, I can't really think of too many times where he, and again, unfortunately, goalkeepers are a position where you're almost judged on how many or how few mistakes you make rather than how many saves you do. But mm. Vicario, based on the stats, I think his save percentage is the highest in the Premier League and his errors leading to goal is right down, down the bottom. So for £17 million, pounds, oh, uh, looks looks like a very, very good signing. And mm. I think, obviously, if Madison's out for a period of time, they're going to they're gonna need their goalkeeper to be bang on form because that's, that team and that squad look very thin now if, if those injuries do do take to, to take their tolls away. Yeah, I mean, it, it looks like we foresaw it coming, didn't we? We spoke about it last week, saying if you take a star player out, unfortunately, it is two or three, isn't there? Which is going to absolutely cripple Spurs. But I hope that they can sort of rally around. A few players are going to get some minutes who possibly didn't think there was. And if they can get those players in form, I'm looking at people like Manor Sol- Solomon, who's a good player. Is it, I think he's, he's fit. He's, no, he's out injured. Is he injured? Oh, dear. Yeah. Oh, there we go. Um, well, there's going to be some other players that are going to get, get opportunities, aren't they? Is it um, Brian... Gil, Gil, is it Gil? Gil, yeah. yeah. He's, he's looked a good player whenever he's played to me. He's just never, he's probably not up to the level of the others. So he's going to get an opportunity. So if those other players can come in and perform, there's still the, the nucleus and the style of play there, isn't there, for Spurs? So opportunities I, I, for other, but it is going to be, it's going to be tough, if I'm being honest. I think that's a really good point that, that again, looking at the two managers who've been in the club, the similar amount of time. Uh, for me, Chelsea still don't know what their system and what their, their style of play is. Whereas you spoke about Dyer and Hoybier as being two players that have been essentially canned. Both of them came in with, in my opinion, just great attitude to the game. You know, Hoybier with that goal line clearance off of Jackson celebrated it like he scored a worldie. You know, absolutely both of them left everything out on that pitch for for the manager. And they both understood their roles within us. I saw Eric Dyer bombing down the right wing with nine players at one point in, in the second half. And I'm thinking, oh, okay, so he's obviously still part of the first team set up in terms of training he understands what he's got to do so absolutely miles off of Romero and Van der Ven but uh, it does strike me that everybody there has, has completely got an understanding and a grip of that that Postacoglu system yeah with a proper structure in place your inferior players um, can still perform to a level can't they and I don't mean this rudely just look at Newcastle you've got people like Jamal Lascelles who have now been playing for quite oh. a while who's Looks looks reborn, doesn't he? Like he's, he was completely forgotten about for a good few years, and you know he's now slotted in there and looks a very very solid centre half in a system which is working. So, and I don't mean that rudely to any of the Newcastle players, but you've got people where when you know a system, you know exactly what your role is, you know what other people's roles are, you can just slot him. So this weekend, Chelsea uh, host Man City, and without a doubt, the the biggest game of the weekend. 
Uh, obviously, Chelsea buoyed by that win at Spurs, albeit under very uh, interesting circumstances. As Rory spoke, spoke about in great detail. Is there realistically any chance, though, that you can see Chelsea slowing down the Man City juggernaut? Because, as we said, in the first 15, 20 minutes, 11 v 11, Spurs looked like they were finding gaps and spaces that Man City are the masters of exactly that. So, is there any chance of Chelsea getting anything out of this game? There's always a chance, isn't there? You know, Man City have dropped points quite recently, to be honest, against two sides, haven't they? But, I mean, I can't see them losing, but there's definitely a chance, you know, if Chelsea look like, the, you know, in some games they've looked like they've picked up some form, so they could hurt them. They've got some of the players to be able to hurt them. If you're asking me, would I predict them taking points of them? No, but they definitely can do with the players they've got. And I suppose the key player from a Chelsea point of view, obviously, is a former Man City player in Raheem Sterling. He's looked, for me, like, Really, really. In fact, two Man City players. I'm going to throw Cole Palmer in as well. That, that, that they are really at the moment the shine lights for Chelsea in an attacking sense, aren't they? I think Cole Palmer has made a massive difference. Um, he seems to be the person who's linking midfield and attack. Um, he also seems to be really calm on the ball, which they didn't seem to have. Like I said, Raheem, Raheem Sterling's been playing really well, but he is high energy. You know, he dribbles a lot and he does lose the ball a lot. It's just his natural game. Um, Cole Palmer is very rare that he loses the ball. So he does seem to take the pressure off the defence as well by receiving the ball in those holes and linking midfield to attack. So you said that, that Man City, have, I mean, they've lost two games this season, which, you know, arguably against team, well, OK, Arsenal away, you, you could say is a toss of a coin, but, but, you know, Wolves was obviously a shock. Chelsea don't really have a huge amount of, again, it feels weird coming off the back of them scoring four goals on Monday night, but, you know, they don't seem to have a huge amount of attack. Do, do you think that actually there's any way that Chelsea can use maybe that false nine against them? So in many ways, Pep Guardiola is one of those people that used to use the false nine with Messi. <clears throat> Excuse me. He's now actually gone almost to play in a 4-4-2 almost with Alvarez. Do you think there's any chance that the false nine could be the key to kind of Chelsea actually get something out of the game? I don't know for me. I mean, for me, I think that when you do look at the teams that have beat them and have caused them issues, it is mainly people with pace running in behind. And I'm thinking historically as well. I know uh, Leicester used to cause Man City quite a lot of problems with Vardy running in behind. So I do, I do feel probably sort of the opposite. I think you do need players who can dribble through midfield at pace, but also pacey players up front. Um, Raheem Sterling is obviously one of those players. So they probably have got the tools. But saying that as well with Cole Palmer, if he is dropping in as a false nine, which leaves space for Raheem Sterling to run into, it may also have a positive effect. And if Chelsea do manage to get the win, I know we've done this probably up and down, yo-yo, you know, seesaw, uh, okie-cokie about 50 times. But, you know, to come off of Spurs away, Man City at home, if they can come out with six points, and Kunku is, is getting closer every week to, to coming back to, back into that squad, is there a chance that they could squeeze top four? Not for me. Um, yeah, not not for <laughs> me. Just, just just on the on the basis of the other teams, you know, like I said Newcastle are picking up. You know, Villa have been playing well. I know there's a few teams that have dropped off um, this week and dropped points, but I think the general strength of the top six, seven, eight teams is, is pretty strong. And Chelsea, for me, haven't been consistent enough to say that they are in with a shout of challenging for the top four. If they can go on a run, you know, three or four games and give us some evidence that they can do that, I think that that's a different question. But so far, it has been one victory where we start waxing lyrical about them and going, oh, they look really good. And then they're gone, lose to Brentford. Then they'll go and beat Spurs and they might get pumped by Man City. So they do seem to be too inconsistent for me to challenge the top four. 
I think the, the interesting one, and, and you mentioned him earlier in Doku up against potentially Reese James. Uh, mm. Reese James looked like he was really struggling with Brennan Johnson uh, for those first 15, 20 minutes on, on Monday night. I think that could be where this game is, is won and or lost because actually uh, it looked to me like there was lots of big gaps with the fullback. Levi Cole was not really a left back, if we're being honest. He, he probably, you know, I'm still, I still think you should be starting Kukurea in there over, over Colville and Colville should be one of the centre-backs personally. But again, I'll, I'll bow to Pochettino's greater knowledge. But but I, I think the wings is where Man City could really do Chelsea some damage. Yeah, agreed. And I also think Foden has come into a lot of form recently. Um, he looks to be driving through midfield or then he drifts out wide, doesn't he? Normally just out onto the right flank. So yeah, I agree. I think the, the wings, but also Foden drifting out there and drifting inside and going through the middle. I think that those three players can cause them some difficulty. Obviously, Haaland picked up what looked like a not, but he managed to play Champions League football. So, obviously, Haaland back in the team as well. And I think he will give, uh, well, he gives every, every centre-back pairing a real hard time, doesn't he? Who am I trying to kid? But I think, uh, like I say, that, that, that Chelsea centre-back pairing didn't look, hasn't looked particularly A-settled. Uh, it looks, feels like every week they're playing a different back four, to me at least, anyway. And, and, and actually, I can see Haaland and Alvarez picking the spots with Doku and Foden, whoever it is out wide. I think it's going to be a very, very long afternoon for that Chelsea back four and, and, and a mention on the goalkeeper who to me doesn't look like he's in top form. Sanchez looks a bit shaky to me. Yeah, I, in all honesty, I don't particularly rate him that high. So I wouldn't even say it's possibly form. I think he's a solid keeper that is not what Chelsea need, if I'm being honest. I think they need a new goalkeeper, as do a few of the sides, to be honest. But no, I, I don't personally rate him that highly. Um, I think he, a bit sort of the Raya situation, doesn't really give you back line any confidence. It's going to be interesting to see if, if Ramsdale is still not playing by January. Uh, I'd be very surprised if somebody doesn't go in with an offer to tempt Arsenal and Ramsdale. I'd be very, very surprised if he's if he's not back in the squad by also not back in the squad back in the team by then because they can't obviously sell Raya because he's on loan technically currently. So for me, I think it'll be going to be very interesting if someone tests the water uh, in January if he's still not in in the match day team. I'd be interested to see that from the players' perspective as well to see if it's something he's he'd be up for. Because you'd like to think, you know, he's, he's challenging for the England number one jersey, isn't it? Or was. Um, you'd like to think that that's his ambition, that if he's not getting a, a gig at Arsenal, that he should be challenging for the number one jersey elsewhere to try and make the England number one jersey his own. Well, it is a Euros next summer, isn't it? So mm. they, they are, you know, pl- pl- players are going to start to think about that if they're not playing regularly. You know, you don't want to miss out on a, on a Euros uh just for the fact of not being on, on on the pitch. And, you know, at the moment, the England goalkeeper situation, I wouldn't say he's locked down. Jordan Pickford has been and is the number one, but it, it's it's not insurmountable position. You know, Nick Pope looks like he's not in the same sort of form as he was last season. No. Uh, so if I was Ramsdale, I'd, I'd be absolutely making sure that even if it's a short-term loan deal, I need to be playing first-team football from January to the, the season end with no negotiation on that whatsoever. Yeah, agreed. And like you said, it. Um, Pickford seems to be Southgate's number one choice, doesn't he? But all it takes is an injury, and at the minute, there's not that clear. Well, there is a clear number two. It is Ramsdale, but if it carries on, it may not be. So we're going to talk about a game that, that maybe doesn't jump off the page, but I think offers a huge amount of interest in a couple of teams that are starting to, uh, to fill me with a little bit more confidence. It's three o'clock on Saturday, Crystal Palace are hosting Everton, and. It feels like just a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about Everton being in a real, real dogfight, you know, real trouble. Uh, and Dominic Calvert-Lewin coming back. I understand, if you look at the league position, they're still 16th. It doesn't look great, but there's now a five-point gap. They've picked up uh, seven points in the last four games. 
You know, it really feels like there's a different feel about this Everton team now, doesn't it? With with a goal scoring threat at the end of it, with Jack Harrison playing. You know, for me, I, f- I feel like this is the sort of game that both teams will go in expecting to win. Mm. Yeah, I, th- I think Everton have completely turned a corner. Um, you know, I, if you'd have asked me how they'd have gotten against Brighton a few weeks ago, it would have been a Brighton victory straight away, whereas I actually thought they could nick a draw, which they did. Um, I think, like you said, there's, there's a goal threat to them now, whereas previously we've spoken about they just look toothless, which they've, they've been that way for a few seasons now, haven't they, really? Yeah, Calvert-Lewin has been very injury-prone and they haven't really carried a goal threat, but they seem to have backup forwards as well. Like I said, they've brought in Jack Harrison, who's a, who's a goal threat and also creates assists and creates spaces. So, yeah, it looked like they've really turned a corner and I think um, you know, the Evans fans will be really pleased as well mo- moving into a new stadium, won't they? Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it feels like it's a, uh, a a positive approach, and we've been obviously banging on about about the main man, Sean. At, you know, f- from his appointment, thinking of what a great piece of business that was, and maybe it just takes some people a bit longer to get their feet under the table and really understand what a club's about. And obviously, there was the turmoil with the ownership and everything else going on. So maybe maybe now is the time for them to really start to see all that hard work he's done over the summer sort of come through. Yeah, I think also. <laughs> You look at the other managers who have had a very similar squad to what he's had, but if you can get Calvert-Lewin playing and firing, he is a very, very good striker, isn't he? I'd be interested to see how they go. Hopefully it doesn't happen, but if he does get injured again, which is quite likely, let's see how they go from there as well, because you know we could then be looking, turning around and saying they're going to be quite poor. Yeah, he definitely, uh, he definitely deserves a little bit of luck, doesn't he, in terms of uh, not picking up any future injuries yeah. because again you know you just spoke there about actually the Euros is he not someone that should be thinking about you know if I could stay fit and banging sort of 15 goals I was thinking the same if if he's fit and he starts scoring goals he is possibly quite possibly England's number two striker isn't he well he offers something different doesn't he I mean you know you look at Ollie Watkins you look at Callum Wilson uh, potentially similar in their in, in, you know rapid you know good finishes but you know Calvert-Lewin offers potentially more of a aerial threat hold the ball up you know something different again you know you know yourself five minutes left in a quarter final you've got to get the ball in the box you need someone that's going to win those headers don't you yeah I, I think he's possibly more of a similar mould to Harry Kane than what Ollie Watkins is Ollie Watkins yeah. offers you something a bit different he runs in behind doesn't he he's, he's quick whereas like you said Calvert-Lewin holds the ball up good in the air he's quick runs in behind as well but Kane's more of an all-rounded forward so he's possibly more of a like-for-like replacement just, just while we're on England have you ever known a time where England have arguably got the two best players in the world on current form in Jude Bellingham and Harry Kane? I mean, are there two better players out there right now? I don't think England have ever had a best player in the world, have they? You could possibly have argued it with Bobby Charlton. Um, no, not really. I mean, I'm thinking of other other areas, possibly a Gary Lineker, best striker in the world at one point, but wouldn't have been the best player. No, I don't think you can ever look at another era and say we've had two players who are possibly the best in their areas. Yeah, it's looking good. Hopefully, uh, obviously, uh, that's the one where we're allowed to be unbiased and say that we want England to do mm. uh, amazingly well. And, and like so own, actually... I've just thought well, the, the only other one that you could possibly say with England is possibly Gordon Gordon Banks, really best goalie in the world at the time. Yeah, fair shout. Yeah, fair shout. But uh, it's, it's at the moment, if, if if those two can stay uh, free of injury and inform, then England will have a chance of beating absolutely anybody mm. that comes across one. I mean, obviously, France. Are, uh, we all know about France; they're a fantastic sort of setup, but. You know, an inform and fit Harry Kane and Drew Bellingham gives us a real good chance of going deep into that tournament. Yeah, it does. Do you, know what, do you know what the real shame for me is? Is that they're both at two completely different ends of their careers. So we're only going to see them paired together for a couple of years at their peak, aren't we, really? It's a shame that the, the Kane isn't a bit younger, really. 
But look, he's he's given it a go to stay as young as he possibly can. He's he certainly is giving it everything he can. Uh, Crystal Palace uh, again. You know, speaking of, of of a team that or an appointment that, that we scratched our heads at. You know, Roy Hodgson. My God, you know what you're doing still. But actually, you know, again, they're, they're picking up points nice and steady. They're sitting you know, comfortably mid table. They're on the same amount of points as Chelsea. They're one point behind. You know, Brentford only three behind. You know, the all conquering Brighton. Eze's back. He came back in on you know at the weekend, and and Elise is obviously not a million miles away now. So actually, you know, good times for Palace. And actually, they've, they've they've they know their system, don't they? They know how they play. They know how they want to set up, and they just execute it pretty well. They're, they're difficult to beat, and and this this is going to be a really interesting game for me in terms of who comes out on top from a stylistic point of view. Yeah, I mean, I was getting a little bit. Um, concerned about Palace just because of their lack of goals. But like I said, they've got a couple of players coming back. They've always been pretty solid defensively. You know, they've got some good, solid players in the side, haven't they? They're hard to break down. It said for me, it was always the goal threat that was was the concern. But with those players coming back, um, I think, yeah, I think they're going to be relatively solid again all season. I said if, if they can keep Eze and Elise fit, they'll be absolutely sound. Yeah, and I th- yeah, absolutely. But I think it's an interesting point for me in terms of that they've arguably got the most underrated centre back pairing in the Premier League in, in Anderson and Gahey. Like they're they're both courted by teams that you would you know top four, top six teams. Uh, Anderson has, has chipped in with some goals. You know, he, he, he's just solid, isn't he? Like mm. both of them just enjoy defending, and actually, you know, like I say. You look around them, and, and actually, maybe the, the the fullbacks aren't you know glittering. And, and and in today's game, the fullbacks are so important, both in terms of attack and defending. But but that centre back pairing, if they can keep those two fit and keep them two together through the mm. January transfer window, they've got a chance, haven't they? Yeah, I really like Gray here. I think he's a definitely a shout for the England squad as well. I think he offers you solidity. He's got pace. He's strong. Um, yeah, and he's and he's quite good on the ball as well. He's pretty calm on the ball. It's not like he's, he's just a defender and lumps it out of play. He's pretty calm on the ball and makes simple passes, which you want your centre-halves to do. So, yeah, I, I really like him. And as like I said, as a centre-half pair, and I think that's really solid. Yeah, I, I know that there's definitely some big fish uh, circling with, with Gehi, but I think uh, Crystal Palace, as, as you said on here many times, you know, they don't need to sell anymore. They're not desperate for the cash. They've, they've, they've got, you know, they've got the Premier League money. So, actually, they'll hold on to the summer, I'm sure. Uh, but I think next summer, you know, after the Euros, if even if he's not in the squad, uh, I, I think we can expect a big money move for him somewhere, some, mm. somewhere, yeah, potentially Champions League team for sure. Chelsea, they, they do need more players. Yeah, <laughs> they will. It would surprise me if they're not in for him. To be honest, though, isn't he an ex-Chelsea academy product? Yeah, yeah it wouldn't surprise me if him for me. It's an area which I think they need to strengthen. He's an ex-academy product, which will help them with their. Champions League qualification squads and those sorts of things. So it wouldn't surprise me if they're known for him. Well, every week we talk about somebody potentially uh, getting fired. And, and before we go into the predictions, the much anticipated predictions, which are going to be easier this week than last week, of course. If Bournemouth lose uh, to Newcastle on the Saturday night game, uh, which, you know, let's be honest, it wouldn't be a surprise, is now the time to pull the trigger? I think, I think his victory. Um, was it against Wolves? No, no. no. His, yeah, his victory. The, the, they won a game the previous week, didn't they? Which massively helped their cause. Burnley. Um, Burnley. Yeah, they beat Burnley. Um, I think if they'd have lost that, that he would have gone at that point. I think he's probably given himself a few more weeks, um, which you know, rightly so. He's a new manager, so I do think he's possibly going to given himself a few more weeks. But when you look at the fixtures, I mean, Newcastle's a tough game, isn't it? So again, it's. I th- 
They've just played Man City. You've got Newcastle. It's not really... Oh, it doesn't work that way, but it's not really fair to say, oh, you've got a couple of games to save your job and you, you go play Man, Man City and Newcastle. So I would feel for him. I do think it'd be slightly harsh if he did get sacked, but it might be the best thing for them. Next game, Sheffield United, which obviously uh, would Massive be a good game. game. If, if, they, if he's still in position and they lose that, that is not yeah. being done. Yeah, 100%. 100%. He'd be gone if they lose that. Okay, so let's let's, let's get cracking and let's see what you've got this week. Obviously, uh, many kind of more difficult games in the sense that there's there's, there's you know there's no other than the Chelsea Man City game. So obviously we start at uh, Wolves, where they host a depleted Spurs, a, a completely different Spurs team. That's what we've seen all season. So in many ways, it's almost impossible to even know who's going to be on the pitch for Spurs. Uh, they're probably going to need to dip into their youth team. Uh, the early kickoff, so as we know, anything can happen. Uh, doing some stats earlier, I think uh, eight of Wolves' last ten games, both teams have scored, so that's probably a shout. But uh, how do you see this one finishing? Wolves host Spurs. I, I, I think this is a really difficult game to call. So Wolves are sort of hit and miss, and like you said, with all the people, the, the players lacking from Spurs. So I'm going to go one all. Okay, I'm I'm, I'm going two one Wolves. I think. At home, early kickoff. Uh, like I said, I just I just don't see how Spurs feel the centre back and the left back. It was just one of them. You could say Ben Davies could could cover one of them, but he can't cover both. Mm. Erisic is out, Solomon's out, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So for me, uh, that's a home win. And if it came in, obviously, be good odds. I think the next one's relatively straightforward. It's just a case of picking the score. Arsenal host Burnley. Uh, obviously, Burnley have been shipping goals. You know, they've come and tried perfect, but the right way. Uh, and it's interesting that nobody's kind of throwing Vincent Company under any sort of bus at the moment. He seems to be getting a lot of grace and, and mm. time. But uh, surely this is an Arsenal win. I think this is a easy Arsenal 3-0 win. I'm going to go as far out there and say I think Burnley are the worst side in the league. OK. Uh, worse than Sheffield United? Sheffield are poor, but I think they've got a few excuses, haven't they? Sold the striker, you know. Yeah, yeah. But... And Burnley have spent some some money as well, whereas I don't think Sheffield have. Um, the both of them are really poor, but I see more fight from Sheffield. Like it's a, on the weekend. Okay. Uh, just spoke about it. Obviously, uh, Palace uh, host Everton. How's this one going to end? I'm going to go Palace nil, Everton two. Oh, no, 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 it's going to be going to be closer than that. Going to be closer than that. Both teams to score. Uh, Although I do think Everton might nick it. I'm going to go 1-2. Uh, the mighty Luton, off the back of a, a, a commendable draw against Liverpool, travel to Manchester United. Uh, what a day out for those fans. What a week for those Luton fans hosting Liverpool and going to Old Trafford. Can they nick anything out of there? I'm putting my neck on the line here. I'm going one all. I can see it. I can see it. I can't agree with you, but I can see it. I'm going to go, I'm going to go 2-1. Uh, Man United. That's that's the safe bet. I think if you were trying to get all of these predictions 100% bang on, I think you go with the United. But I'm going to put my neck out there and just go for a draw. Yeah, I, 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 I didn't laugh. I didn't argue. I, I just think mm. it's, I, I just think Man United at home will just have enough. Um, but again, just have enough. I mean, what a difference that is in a couple of weeks. Uh, Bournemouth, as we just touched on, uh, host Newcastle in the five thirty kickoff. Uh, I'm gonna. I'll start this one for you. I'll, I'll give you. I'll give you a clue now. Again, obviously there is some injury news to come out of Newcastle. To, to, before we know what was happening with Callum Wilson, but if Callum Wilson's not fit, I think they'll play Anthony Gordon in there. I'm gonna go three-one Newcastle. I'm gonna go three-nil Newcastle. 
being very stingy today, Frank. You're not giving many goals away. You're not giving many goals away. Okay. Uh, Aston Villa need to bounce back from from that really poor performance against Forest. Obviously, they've got Europe this week as well. Uh, host Fulham, who seem to be plodding along, you know, doing enough and picking up points as they go along. But but this one surely is a home banker, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I think so. I'm going to go 2-0 Villa. Yeah, I'm going to go 3-1. Brighton, uh, it were just not quite the same, are they? They're, 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 we've said this many times, they're not quite the same. But nonetheless, uh, they host a team that we'd all be expecting them to beat comfortably in Sheffield United. Uh, again, uh, I think this might just be a case of us picking a different score. But who are you going for in this one? Going Brighton 2, Sheffield 1. Brighton are the kings of both teams to score. They absolutely are. You're right. Uh, I think it's 10 of, 10 of the last 10. Oh, I think well, I think it's all all games so far. If it's yeah, yeah, yeah. It's ten games, all Premier League games so far, they've had both teams score. Yeah, the the, the risk is our checking United capable, but yeah, I thought, yeah, you Q, are right. nil nil. Yeah, <laughs> that's the way it works, man. That's the way it works. Uh, this could be an interesting game. Liverpool host Brentford. Obviously, Brentford seem to to have a way and a knack of getting results against the big teams. The better they seem to perform better against the better teams. Uh, Liverpool, for me, are. Absolutely smack bang in a title race, and, and and you know without doubt the second best team in the league currently. How do you see this one going? Uh, I see that being three one to Brentford. Uh, Brentford. No, no, sorry to Liverpool. Got it completely wrong to Liverpool. You said Home that so confidently. Yeah. Home win. Liverpool three. Brentford one. <laughs> I'm going to go four two. Uh, I think that's going to be a doozy of a game. I think it's going to be really exciting. Uh, another interesting game that we didn't touch on. Uh, for a whole bunch of reasons, uh, as in interesting for a bunch of reasons, not why we didn't touch on it for a bunch of reasons. West Ham hosts Forest. Uh, obviously, Forest off the back of that massive win against Villa. West Ham are very up and down. You don't know what both of these teams actually. You don't know what you're going to get from either of these teams. But how do you see this one pan out? I'm going two-two. West Ham two. Forest two. Uh, I'm going to go two-one. West Ham. I think they might have enough at home. And we touched on it in, in great detail. However, we didn't give a score. Uh, I'm going to go three-nil Man City. By the way, so I'm going to throw it out of nice and early. I, th- I think this is going to be comfortable. I think this is going to be comfortable. I, I think they're exactly the same. But for sake of argument, let's go 4-0. Okay. Uh, have you got a uh, a prediction of, of, of £5? Give a, give a £5 to a stranger prediction. I do, but it does involve a championship game, if that's all right. And it's another yeah. one that's a bit out there. So it's a double chance bet. It's two teams. So it's Luton or the draw against Manchester United. And it is Plymouth or the draw against Leeds. Are you going to hit me with a arithmetic? What sort of numbers is that we're talking about? I don't know what they are, but I know what some of the odds are. So it's it's, it's more than 25 to 1, I can tell you that. Okay. Uh, wow. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, let's, uh, not unlike last week where you told me that you uh, your bet was better than mine or bigger than mine and definitely <laughs> wasn't. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to give you uh, a, a nice easy uh, fourfold on Saturday that's not a big return but it's going to come home Wolves are going to beat Spurs Arsenal are going to beat Burnley Man United are going to beat Luton Newcastle are going to beat Bournemouth and you're going to get 7-1 to one for that uh, cheeky fiver returns 35 quid and that's going to be uh, how you're going to pay for your Saturday night takeaway that's there it. we go what are you ordering <laughs> for a takeaway I've had money such a long time I wouldn't know uh, <laughs> But we'll work it out. And as you, is thirty-five pound not enough for a takeaway anymore? Is that what you're telling me? No, it's, it's quite a lot. Oh, okay. Right. For, not, for not you, down. for you, for an individual, thirty-five quid, you could feed yourself for a week. I've got a family of four. Yeah, family's <laughs> all right. I'm, I'm just feeding myself uh, as a way, Frank. Uh, thoroughly enjoyed that. 
you've become a, a little bit of a social media expert. So where can people reach out to us and, and get in touch? Any questions, any feedback they've got for us? Where can they find us? So our podcasts are on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. If you just search for The Atmosphere is Electric, if you can um, follow the show and rate it five stars, we'd really appreciate that. It just helps us um, get the show out to as many people as possible. And we're also on Twitter and X. Again, if you search for The Atmosphere is Electric, you can send us a DM or reply to any um, any tweets that we send. You know, We've had quite a lot of that recently. Appreciate all the, the interaction. And we're going to look to try and get on TikTok and Instagram at some point. I've just got to set the accounts up. Yeah, I'll leave that with you. Uh, although I've got two kids that'll tell you how to do it if you need any help. Uh, yeah, I, get, I definitely... get, Ast- get Aston on it. <laughs> definitely wouldn't have a clue, mate. Not a clue. Uh, look, mate, genuinely, uh, as always, uh, thank you very much for your time. Really enjoyed it and uh, look forward to catching up next week after another exciting round of Premier League football.